Welcome to Stand Our Ground. I'm your host, Kaya, and I'm so grateful that you've decided to join me as I investigate the murder of my cousin, Deanna Stevenson. This podcast does discuss domestic violence and includes events and descriptions that some listeners may find triggering, so please listen with caution. If you need to talk with someone about the content of this podcast or something that it brings up for you, please call 988 in the United States to reach the Mental Health Crisis Line or text HOME to 741-741. As a reminder, all individuals discussed in this podcast are innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Today on Stand Our Ground, I'm going to wrap up my interview with Greiner, one of Deanna's co-workers and friends. If you didn't listen to the previous episode, which contains the first half of my interview with Greiner, I highly recommend that you do so. The full interview, which is about an hour long, will be released as a subscriber-only bonus episode. You can subscribe to our podcast for $2.99 a month, and all of the funds from that go to advertising or other ways of supporting the podcast. So far, thanks to your support, we've been able to run two different social media campaigns, which have brought more attention to our podcast. I also just want to quickly state that anyone discussed in this podcast is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Um, and just give a brief reminder that when Griner and I talk about the investigation and any um, struggles that we have with how it was done or anything we see concerning in that, that is going to be addressed in a later episode. Again, as with last week, you may hear a couple of quality issues in the recording, and that's either due to the quality of the Zoom recording kind of dropping out occasionally, or it's if I've removed a name in order to protect someone's identity. So with all that said, let's go ahead and hear from Griner. Just having, just going back, not really having to, but just going back and reliving all that, those last moments and being able to look at it with clear eyes now versus being a part of it while it's happening then. Uh, of course, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. You can look back on it a numerous amount of ways now versus the way that you look back on it then. But just piecing it all together now after the fact, and it's just like, it's just so messed up. This sucks. It does. It sucks so this, bad. It sucks so bad. I'm really grateful, though, that you're willing to talk to me because I just, like you said, she's had absolutely no voice, right? The only story people have been able to hear is the one that's been told by Amy and Megan and Ali Jane. Yeah. And like, this did not have to happen. Well, and I feel like in the moment it was like, I don't know, I, I kept having this feeling of like, you know, give it time and there's going to be. Like something will happen that like won't make it right, but you'll be like, oh, good. Something happened because she was killed and then that didn't happen. And I'd be like, okay, but like any minute now yeah. and then it didn't happen. You keep waiting. You keep waiting for it and waiting for it and waiting for it. And yet all you get is well, she showed up looking for a fight. Yeah. It's like, yeah, but she was provoked. Like, mm-hmm. I know my heart she was provoked, but this, she had a career. Number, you know, she had a family. Number one, she had yeah. a son. Number one, number two, she had a career. The only reason why she would have went over there is to protect someone. I ask, uh, do you remember what time you went to bed and what time you woke up? 
Uh, it was around four that I had went that I had went to sleep. It was uh, around it was in between four and four thirty that morning. But it wasn't long. Um, and of course there was there was a couple of other people that were there hanging out with us at the apartment that night. So she put me to bed. Went out and got back with the party for a few minutes. I don't really think you can call it a party more than just hanging out. As everybody started to leave and do their own thing, that's when I guess she just either she got a text message or a phone call or something, something antagonized her into going over there. She wouldn't have just went over there because I, I feel like she knew she knew what was going to happen when she went over there. Either if, if nothing, nothing good was going to come of her going over there. Yeah. I don't think she believed, I don't think she believed she was going to die. I don't believe she thought that somebody was going to have a gun and she was going to get shot. I believe she went over there. She was antagonized and going over there. And it's, it has to do with the, like I said, the puppeteer behind the, mm-hmm. behind the scenes pulling the strings, putting people against each other. You know, hey, she's crazy. No, she's crazy. Yeah. Type, type deal. And, you know, we all know Deanna. She stood up for what she loved, who mm-hmm. she loved. If she considered you family or if she considered you a friend, then hell have no fury like her if anybody tries to mess with you. Yes, Absolutely. It wasn't just something that she did for pretend. It was she was loyal, and I, you know, and I honestly feel like she in she was loyal to a fault. Yeah, because she, I believe, she was led to believe that she needed help or she needed protecting, and it was all just manipulate. It was all just manipulation. I believe that the law was manipulated in this case because obviously you don't have a six-year relationship with someone and not have some sort of feelings. Yeah. And, you know, you, you buy a house, you're engaged to someone, and then, you know, things don't work out. But... You know, this and it kind of makes you wonder, like, what was Megan's intent in the beginning? Right. It's hard to say that somebody would spend six years of their life manipulating someone, but it it does happen. Yeah. Unfortunately, and I feel like that my best friend was a victim of that, and everything that has come out after that incident has been made to make her look not in the best of light. Yeah. To justify it. Yeah. They they had to find a way to justify it. She had to find a way to justify what happened. And this goes back to what we what we talked about earlier was like how can you buy a house with someone that you're supposedly in love with? And then things happen the way that they happen and things fall out the way that they fell out. And then yet all these years later, you're still living in the house. Mm -hmm. 
with that person. Yeah. That, yep. You know, it, it just, I couldn't do it. Mm-mm. I don't, I don't, I don't, I couldn't, I mean, I, my dream is to be a homeowner one day, but I don't want to be a homeowner that bad. No, I, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you how many times I would hear on the radio of Blackwater to Officer Borsma. That's what she went by at the prison. I know, her yeah. name, I know her last name. I know her last name is Stevenson, but she went by Borsma at the prison. You know, Blackwater Officer Borsma, 1088 for an outside line. You know, that means what's your location. So if you got somebody trying to call you, what's your location? So okay. that I can send you this phone call. And it would be Megan every time. And we would hear that two, three to four times a day. And we all, I mean, the people who knew Deanna, the people that, you know, were friends with Deanna, we all knew who it was. Right. You know, because it, it was never followed up with, you know, hey, Borsman's got to leave because, you know, she's got a family emergency. It wasn't anything that happened, you know, to Sheila or Savannah or, or any of them. It was always, you know, Deanna was always in the control room on the phone. You know, she was doing her job. She was watching the cameras, watching us. You know, and if anything popped off, we knew that she would be there. Mm-hmm. It, it, the math ain't math. Yeah. Yeah. I love that <laughs> quote. Thank you for that. I needed that just a little bit. So I have, uh, I wrote down some questions as you were talking, some kind of related to stuff you said, some not, but that I think that you could help kind of. Uh, give some insight on particularly in regards to maybe clearing up some things that have been said about Deanna that she has no way of refuting. Um, and I don't have them in any good order because I know I'm taking a lot of your time. I appreciate you hanging in here with me. I've waited so long to get all this out because I, I waited for so long because I just knew that being the last person to see her alive, that some investigator somewhere would at least want to ask me a couple questions. And the if police never else. came to you? Never. When so there's been allegations that when she was drinking she would become violent. Um, I guess I don't really know how to ask this, but I guess can can you speak to did you ever see her become violent when she was drinking? Um did you ever I don't know. What was she, she like when she was drinking, I guess? The people she loved. Again, it all came down to the people she loved. And if you were messing with somebody that she loved, then yeah, she would step up and she would say something. Uh, she was a protector. That was her natural thing. That that was just who she was. She was going to protect hers and everybody that was with her. She's by far the most loyal friend I've ever had. And they, I'm going to tell you right now, God broke the mold when he when he created Deanna because they don't he they he didn't make them like her anymore. Uh, if you crossed one of us, you had to answer to her. Yeah. So whenever you hear someone say something, oh well, she was violent, she was abusive. Yeah, well, it's probably because you deserved it. Yeah, she. it sounds like, and don't let me put words in your mouth, but it doesn't sound like she was someone who would go out looking for a fight. Definitely not. No, she, if anything, she wanted to avoid it. But it, once again, like if you, if you crossed her or one of hers, 
then she was she was the the gatekeeper on all of that. Like she she was the she was mother hen, pretty much. Like she was you know she protected all, all her little ducklings. <laughs> in your like in your times going out with Deanna, how much was kind of like a normal amount? Uh, for y'all to be drinking and like kind of over what time period i know that's like such a hard thing to answer so i apologize but at that time we were pretty lost individuals we had a lot of personal problems a lot of personal issues like i said that's how me and her bonded right we had the same thing going on in our own respective personal lives uh we would clock out at eight and I would be, I was always the first one at the bar after work. So anybody wants to say that, Oh, well, Deanna, she was either at work or she was at the bar. No, that was me. I was either at work or I was at the bar. Um, between nine until the time they stopped serving alcohol, it's between nine and two thirty AM. Mm-hmm. Not one time did I ever see Deanna completely blackout drunk. If anything, Deanna was the one that us blackout drunks would go to for help. Like we wouldn't. <laughs> the mother hen of the blackout exactly. drunk ducklings. Exactly. The drunklings. Yeah. She was the one that we always ran to. There was a lot of times that, you know, you know Deanna was also, she would be the one, hey, Feeling okay? You're not looking too good, you know. So it, that gives you the idea that that's the kind of person she was. So yeah, we were at the bar and yeah, we were all drinking, but Deanna was never the she. Not one time did I ever see her completely blackout, uncontrollably intoxicated. Um, I mean, she drank Bud Light. So <laughs> if if anybody can get drunk off of Bud Light. I've never seen anybody get drunk off Bud Light <laughs> unless you drink it literally, you, unless you're just standing there chugging it one behind the other. Do like an IV or something. Kind of, yeah. Kind of like Michelob Ultra too. Like I've never seen anybody get blackout drunk on Michelob Ultra. Like how many of them are you drinking? Cause you get tired drinking them. Mm-hmm. Is that what she was drinking June 7th? Was she just drinking Bud Light? Bud Light. Bud Light. Oh, well, she had her, she had her, shots too okay. that should take the panty droppers or the yes, you know leak this out with pink pussies whatever oh you're fine <laughs> <laughs> um do you know i know it's such a long time ago i just i have her toxicology report so i'm trying to like make sense of it um right. do you have any idea how many shots how many beers it's hard it's hard to say because sometimes she'd buy the picture Okay. Which you, know, you have, you pour your own, and then you'd also have the the twelve ounce bottles. I really couldn't tell you how many beers she would drink. The only thing that I could tell you is that she was never blackout. She wasn't blackout drunk. She had too many, which mm-hmm. is a reason why I didn't want her driving. But right. She wasn't. She wasn't staggering, falling over, tearing stuff up. She was able to, she was in control of herself. Okay. Um, and it sounds like 
maybe a little bit more than she normally would because she couldn't drive, but not like anything where you were like, wow, this well, stands no, out. It, no, it was, I, I knew because we had been out for so long that just because somebody's in control of themselves doesn't mean that they're going to be able to blow into the Fair breathalyzer. Enough. Yeah, for and sure. You know, if nothing else, I didn't want her to lose her job. Number right. Two, number two, I, you know, my drunk and your drunk can be two totally different things. It all depends on, you know, body size, you know, body mass index, how much, how long have you been drinking? Mm -hmm. uh, what kind of tolerance do you have to alcohol? You know, that type of stuff. You know, I didn't want her to get pulled over because she forgot to turn her blinker on whenever she made a left turn at a stop sign and then have to blow hot into a breathalyzer. Right. So you would say she was pretty much a, I mean, she ha didn't seem like she had drank more than she normally would have that night. No, no, okay. it, need, it was just a normal night out. Yeah, would have been totally unremarkable if it hadn't been for the next morning. Yeah. One of the things that right. Megan said in her restraining order was that she would say to Deanna in response to supposedly Deanna controlling what room she couldn't couldn't be in. Um, and when she was or wasn't allowed to watch TV, she would say, I'm not like one of the inmates at your job. That's that sounds like typical divorcees of correctional officer. Right? My ex-wife said that about me. Whenever she divorced me, she that that just that's one of those things that they always try to say whenever they're trying to throw stones. They're like, oh, well, she's controlling, or he's controlling, or they're controlling. They're trying to treat it. They're it, He's, they're trying to treat me like I'm an inmate and I'm not one of their inmates. You know, that's, that's just, that's a low blow. Deanna was always main control. So she very rarely was around inmates. She was more or less in charge of the daily operations of the compound. So she had, she had way more bigger priorities to worry about than just worrying about inmates. Like she was responsible for making sure count cleared. She was more responsible for making sure that, you know, people got outside lines to be able to talk to their baby mamas. Um, you know, of course, she got directions. She worked in direct supervision of the captain. So whatever the captain would tell her to do, she had more to do with officers than him. So whenever somebody says anything about, oh, well, she's just used to controlling inmates. Well, I mean, I, I would... I may believe that if she ever worked around inmates. It's not even it, applicable. It, yeah, she really didn't have anything to do with inmates because she worked and she worked mid shift, four to twelve. She wasn't she wasn't on day shift until we until later on, whenever we whenever the prison moved to twelve hour shifts, we went to day shift. But before that, she spent years on four to twelve you know, four in the afternoon to midnight. So there wasn't any kind of admin deals going on. There wasn't any kind of, like, there weren't any inmates working up front. It was basically you sit in this bubble, and then you look out this big window at the entire compound. And it's kind of like your, your main – she was a main control officer. So she was the one who, A, called for backup. Or had or directed backup on where to go. 
um, you know, when you counted your inmates and you had to come back to the officer station to call in your count, she was the one that would answer the phone and sit there and, and take in, you know, your numbers or whatever. It was, she never, very rarely did she work in a position where she had to be strict or had to be, you know, uh, the law, so to speak. It, that wasn't her position at the prison. It was, she was the main control. So it also sounds like then if there was, anyone was going to make an argument of, well, she has tactics for subduing inmates that she may have used to subdue people to make them think their life was at risk. That wouldn't really be a valid argument because she was I mean, in the control room. Everybody, everybody has to go through, everybody in corrections has to go through defensive tactics. Everybody in law enforcement, period, has to go through defensive tactics. Mm-hmm. You, have to, you have to. You have to have that training. But let's be honest, that training's basically it's like a two-hour class two days a week. Right. It's not like you have to become a master jujitsu, <laughs> you know, technician or whatever. Like it's not. That's not what it's like. Basically, the 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 tactics that they teach you in defense. Because I'm a defensive tactics instructor. Oh, cool. The defensive tactics that you are taught are not to inflict harm, so to speak. They can, but most of the tactics that are taught to law enforcement are in self-defense it's a reaction to something that's being done to you it's not just something that you could go and do to someone right it's basically you're taught like grappling uh i think in the defensive tactic books they call it shrimping which i I thought was weird but it's 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 not it's not something that i can i can't use defensive tactics in the octagon and become UFC heavyweight champion. I mean, I could defend myself, you know, and until the authorities arrive, you know, I could, you know, subdue you until someone gets there, but it's not, that's not what defensive tactics is. Defensive tactics is defensive tactics. It's not you know, horse Gracie, jujitsu or whatever, you know, it's not like, you know, oh, she's trained. Like, no, she wasn't. She ought to be a correctional officer. That's two totally different things. Right. On, on that note, real quickly, with your experience in both defensive tactics and I would assume de-escalation, um, yes. uh, would you... If you, if you were, would you advise other um, individuals if they were in a situation where they um, had someone come to their home who they felt was a potential danger to place a loaded gun, to set it down on a table and then walk away from it, leaving it between the other person and them? No, if, if you got somebody that's trying to break into your home and harm you or your family and you have exhausted all options, you have contacted the authorities. The authorities are on their way. And this person's trying to break into your house. And you, like I said, you've exhausted all options. There's no other options. You, you, and you're behind your door with a firearm. And it's you versus that person. Then by all means, 
do what you got to do to defend yourself. I don't feel like that's what happened in this case. I feel like two sides were manipulated against each other and things just kind of snowballed out of control and nobody accounted for the old woman on the couch. Honestly, I think that the investigator, after he, once he knew, he realized who it was, and it was, oh, it's Amy. I used to work with her. It's like, okay, well, she's saying stand your ground. We got all these text messages just going back and forth. Um, it's, he probably just swept it under the rug and said, okay, yeah, it's stand your ground laws. She showed up. They had to defend themselves, and, you know, whatever. Next week on Stand Our Ground, we're going to talk about the house. The house that Megan and Deanna bought, the house that Megan wanted, the house that was the main point of contention in the restraining order, the house that Deanna said Megan would not get, not even, over her dead body. We're going to hear from a lot of different people about this house, as well as hear an update on the status of the house now, who's living in it, whose name it's under, and whether or not Deanna's son has any legal rights to it. I hope that you'll join me next week. As a reminder, all individuals discussed in this podcast are innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. You can get in touch with us by going to standourgroundpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again. Here's Deanna, and thanks for listening. Here's to you, here's to me, friends and family, who shall always be, who shall ever disagree, fuck you, and here's to me. Hey! Stand Our Ground is written and produced by Kaya Penfield. Our theme music is Lifelike by Alexi Action Background Music. You can find us on social media by going to at Stand Our Ground on TikTok or searching Stand Our Ground Podcast on Facebook. You can also email us at standourgroundpodcast at gmail.com.